Okay, Brian, so here's what you need to do. Unplug the blue wire and then plug the red wire where that one used to be. Yeah, I'm not seeing a red wire. One of you guys going to have to come help me with this. Okay, I'll come in there, but you're going to have to put your pants back on. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a deal breaker for me. Welcome in to the Bro Four Squad Podcast, where we're just a bunch of bros drinking beer and watching TV and movies. This is our review of The Mandalorian, Season 2, Episode 4, titled The Siege. I am your host, the Mayor Jeff Hornacek. Joining me are the mad scientist, Brian Banner, and the American hero, Nate Thurman. To review this episode as we do all of our TV episodes on the four Bro Four Squad criteria, the acting, the story our favorite scene, and then what I think will be maybe the best version of this all season, our theories and questions going forward. So let's get it started with the American hero, Nate Thurman, for acting and cast. Some old faces returned to The Mandalorian this past week. Yeah, it was awesome uh, seeing Carl Weathers come back, and then obviously um, Cara Dune. That's kind of weird saying one of the people's real name. Uh uh, Carl Weathers' character, uh, ca- car- uh, car- Reef, car- it's Carl Carver. Weathers. Let's be honest with ourselves. He can only play Carl Weathers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was cool. Um, we kind of expected this. I think we talked about it previously. They're going to make their way back into it. Um, so I, I don't think kind of jumping forward, I don't think it's trending to Timothy Oliphant's character coming back, which is kind of disappointing. It could happen. But I don't, I don't think it's trending that way. But it, it was definitely cool seeing them back. Um, and one of the things that was that has continued to develop, which is kind of cool. I mean, some people might think it's corny and cheesy, but seeing Mando develop more as a dad character, which is really great. Um, seeing him like really care for him um, and kind of being like protective when they leave him in the school with the other kids. He's like, no, I've got to be with him at all times. And then. Obviously, near the end, wiping up his spit up as he's doing the <laughs> after he does the corkscrew. Um, but um, that was one of the main things that, that stuck out. I was really like to see, like seeing that development um, with Mando being more of a dad type, we've, which we've already seen it, but it's being like more uh, cemented into the plot now. I like it because, I, it, sorry, Ben, real quick, it feels yeah. so against who his character is as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it's like a, it's a cool character arc because you see it developing and him going against some of his Mando creeds. And I will say being the only father on the show, that is so relatable. You were this person. And then as soon as you have a child, your entire demeanor and almost your personality and who you are changes to cater your life towards this child. And you can see Mando was wanted to do that, but was kind of hesitant up until this point. And now he's just like, you know what? This is who I am. This is what life is. And he just kind of embraces it this episode, which is really cool to see. And it's very relatable. I never thought like I would be relating to a space cowboy character, but 
it's really it was really fun and really cool that they were able to do that in such a such a unique way. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say it came full circle this episode with Mando and Baby Yoda because I think a lot of the stories yet to be told, but definitely relating back to like the turning point as Nate was kind of alluding to in his character was when he gave the child back to uh, basically the Imperial officers and then realized they kind of had nefarious plans for it and went back to rescue Baby Yoda seeing the experiments, which we kind of get, we'll get to it at the end of the review, but yeah. Um, and I, I, and I hope people are, are liking this dynamic because if you think back through any of the other Star Wars series or movies or anything, you don't see this like father son relationship. Like all the other parent uh, offspring relationships are so different in in the whole Star Wars series and everything. Um, and it's funny that this is like the most touching relationship, and they're not even related. Right. Well, I, mean, that, I think yeah. the closest to this kind of relationship you have is probably Qui-Gon and Anakin, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is true. we only get that for like thirty minutes of a movie. Yeah, which is crazy to think about. Mm-hmm. I'll give you my thirty-second review of the acting performances. So first off, Horatio Sands plays Mithril, the blue guy. Horatio Sands, like from SNL. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. I recognized his voice first. And once I realized it was Horatio Sands, I think I liked the character a lot more. Yeah. yeah. Going back, if I were to rewatch episode one of the whole series, I think I would really like that a lot more. Uh, Carl Weathers is Grief Cargo, like Banner and I said. I mean, he's he's Carl Weathers. He's fine. I actually liked him a lot more in this, I think, than I did last season. And then Gina Carano is Cara Dune. She's just not a good actor, guys. Yeah. I mean... It's it's rough. I think it's it's actually gotten worse this episode than the last time we saw her, which is weird. Agreed. I echo almost everything you say. My notes literally say lots of action in this one. And I hate to say it because he fucking sucks. But I actually thought Carl Weathers did a decent job. Gina Carano kind of sucked in this. Yeah. I mean, that's all we need to know. I mean, it was a real action packed episode. So the little acting that they. Ooh, wow, me. that may be a, that's a rare sneeze on the pod. Man, Whoa. yeah. That yeah, I don't remember too many. <laughs> uh, History. The little acting that they actually had to do. Um, Carl Weathers actually acted circles around her, which I, I never thought I would say in my life. And it doesn't really bother me because they. it's not like they're giving her too much of a heavy lifting part in this episode. So it's whatever. She's like She's not the worst actor on this show. Um, she's definitely not the best actor. I didn't mind it. Yeah. All right, on a story and plot. So uh, just a quick recap. Mando's ship can't make it to Corvus, so they have to go back to Navarro for repairs, since obviously he has some some friendlies there. And then the plot takes us into the very interesting uh, storyline of Grief and Cara Dune, which is sort of a recurring plot device of this show, but I don't mind it, where someone needs Mando's help to execute a mission before he can leave the planet. In this case, they're ridding Navarro of its last imperial base uh sort of the imperial forces that have stayed behind and i should have a question before i toss it over to you banner for story and plot how much time are we to believe has elapsed between the end of last season and this episode because the way they were talking about like oh you've really cleaned up this place it seemed like it would almost been like a year but that doesn't make any sense right if it'd been that long i would just off the top of my head just trying to think back yeah a couple months, maybe, is kind of what I suspected. I don't know. Okay. Because they were talking like Navarro's changed completely. And I was like, yeah. how long has it been to even... She's a fast worker. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll play devil's advocate here because I agree. It's probably only been a few months. 
But I could convince myself it's been longer based on the fact that when he left the ice planet, his ship was fucked up, right? So they couldn't fly very fast. They couldn't use the hyperdrive. So they flew from the ice planet to the frog lady's planet just through space, not using hyperspace. So it probably took a lot longer to get there than what they're actually showing on screen. And the same thing from the fish planet to back to Navarro. I feel like that you could convince me that those each took a month in themselves or maybe two or three weeks. Okay. Just in travel time. Yeah. Which, I mean, what are we going to do? Show Baby Yoda and Mando playing checkers? No, I'm not complaining about, like, them not... Like, it's like the people that watch Harry Potter, and they're like, how come you never show Harry taking a piss? It's like, because that's... (laughs) Because that's fucking weird. Completely not... That's weird, and it's non-essential to the plot. Like, yeah. uh, I don't need to to know that. I just was a little bit confused. Like, these drastic changes have happened on Navarro, and maybe it's just because the story does pick up almost immediately at the beginning of the season after last season with his mission from the guild. But I was just wondering how long has Cara Dune and Cargo had to like completely reform Navarro? Although I guess if Moff Gideon and the Imperial forces pretty much left, that would help expedite that whole process of cleaning it up. Mm-hmm. For sure. So obviously the story here, big. we can get to a lot of the big time plot developments at the end. But the story, the, the show has left itself a lot of different avenues to go down. And they all intrigue me equally. Uh, but I think kind of the main thing here is... Uh, we do sort of see a little bit of what Moff Gideon's uh, plan and now involvement in the show is, because last season we just knew he wanted Baby Yoda. We didn't know for what, and we didn't even really know if he was working for the remnants of the Empire or sort of self-serving, which I guess we still don't really know that. Yeah, we're kind of we're kind of left in the dark. We're kind of piecing it together ourselves to see if like he's actually like way high up, or if he has his own faction that he's kind of just running independently. He's like a like he's franchised a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts, but he's not the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, he's doing. He's like the regional general manager. Yeah, if you ask him at the Christmas party, he says, "I'm doing okay. Don't worry about me. I'm comfortable." Yeah, that car in the parking lot's almost paid off. Almost. (laughs) Banner, do you have any thoughts on where the story went here? I know a lot of the really interesting stuff is just probably safe for theories and questions. Yeah, just as far as the episode goes. as a whole, and me and Nate talked a little bit about this off pod, but this is almost a perfect episode in my opinion. Um, you have lots of action. There's a little bit of humor. Obviously, Baby Yoda's adorableness, they really hinged on that two or three times. Um, you know, with him doing the wires, then him wanting the cookie and using the force to get the cookie from the his classmate. One of, the su- he- one of the subtle things is when he raises his arms when they're flying around. <laughs> yeah. Like he's on a roller coaster. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like they just like – they know who Baby Yoda is and they know who we want Baby Yoda to be. And they're like, okay, that's fine. I mean other than Baby Yoda being Baby Yoda, he really doesn't have a whole lot to do in the series, right? At this point in time. I mean I he's mean, just the driving force behind it. Yeah, he, but he's like, just an asset that he's trying to deliver. But yeah, he he doesn't like. I mean, there's been a few few places where he learned, has contributed, but right. And we learned this episode that the experiments that Moff Gideon's crew did on him, you know, that has a, a big domino effect coming up in the show. Right, right. Yeah. Coming up, he's gonna be. I mean, obviously, he's the center of the show, but it's almost like in Stranger Things, the kid that gets possessed 
really isn't in the show a whole lot, but he is the main focal point of the show. Baby Yoda's kind of that same thing. It's actually um, a really good comparison. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, going back to the episode, though, it, it advanced the overall story, but still having a very good meaning individual episode. You know, they we advanced the story with we learned about what they were doing to Yoda. We learned where Moff Gideon is right now and kind of gave us some ideas of where he's going, which we'll get into in a little bit. But also their whole point of the episode was, hey, we want to wipe out this base so that all of Navarro can be free and we can become a big trading planet. And they accomplished that at the end of the episode. So it was very self-contained, but also um, applied itself to the bigger overall story more. Yeah, that's a good point. And I had actually started thinking about this after the episode once I saw that Carl Weathers had directed it. Because I think one of the things about this show that's taken a little while for me to adjust to is sometimes it does feel like a monster of the week with like tiny little breadcrumbs linking the overarching narrative together. But I do think part of that is because they have, and this is a strength of the show, so I, I don't ever want this to change, but they have so many different directors in a season. You know, like four or five, I think last season might have even had six. Right? I, think yeah. they had, I think they had six different directors for eight episodes. I think Favreau did two and Filoni did two. That sounds right. Yeah, so you want to bring these, and these are great um, creative minds that they're getting. Like, these aren't people that do, like, <clears throat> no offense if this is you at home, uh, but these aren't people that come in and do, like, a guest spot on Law & Order Special Victims Unit. Like, these are big-time directors and <laughs> big-time directors. So when they come in, they do kind of want to have a little bit of autonomy to do their own story with, like, it's almost like an MCU movie, right? Like, Make your movie, but we need these few things as far as plot threads to connect. Uh, and this episode felt like the perfect balance of that. Like, it could basically exist on its own, but there's some really important stuff that we get, especially like the last 10 minutes, that really help get you excited and sort of push this season forward. That's a yeah. really good point to compare it to the MCU. And I, you have to assume Favreau's experience with the MCU. I mean, he did Iron Man and Iron Man 2. That literally started the MCU right there. So his experience of that and being in it, being in that whole process of that cinematic uh, accomplishment has to go come into play here with being the showrunner of this, right? Yeah. I would and think. I think it's cool. It's a, a good note to, to – or a good thing to note is if you watch the Galleria, which was kind of that – the making of the first season of Mandalorian, all those directors were on set for multiple episodes. They may not have directed it, but they were there. So yeah. it's more of this collaborative um, – thing as opposed to no this is my episode which i think is really cool and really important to note when you're talking about that cohesive storyline it's a good point <clears throat> nate anything you want to add before we move on to best scene um yeah just touch on a few things it's obviously important when it is we talked about moff getting being seen in this but it's it's an important character reveal because the audience already knew but now the characters know and so that's obviously going to drive this a little bit more. Um, so that was that was cool, a cool uh, revelation for the characters and in the show. Um, so now quick, they sorry, can... quick point on that. I didn't even, and this is my own fault, but I didn't even make the connection that that like Mando and Cargo and Dune might have thought Moff Gideon was dead. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't either. I totally forgot that him like cutting himself out of the Tie Fighter was kind of like a oh shit moment. Yeah, that was like oh shit, he still is alive. Yeah, because he saw it go down and. For all intents and purposes, he thought he was dead. I think but, literally I was like laying on my couch, and when he goes, Moff Gideon's alive, I was, I was like stuffing my face, and I go, duh. 
<laughs> <laughs> Idiot. Um, but yeah, that's going to, that adds a whole new dynamic for them because that wasn't even in the back of his mind. And he's like, fuck, I got to get off this planet because Gideon's right. probably going to be after me. Um, and then one of the things I thought this was a little cheap, but the more I think about it, it kind of makes sense. But at the very end, they reveal that that one alien that was fixing the ship put a tracking device. I was like, oh, that's kind of convenient. But I kind of go back and, and think that, okay, they, they're probably thinking that Mando is going to go back to Navarro at some point because he has allies there and all that. So I was like, okay, it kind of makes sense that they may have planted someone there and said, hey, if you see this guy show up, here's this tracking device to 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 put on him. So when, when I first watched it, I like I said, I thought it was a little cheap and – I was like, oh, that's kind of stupid, but it kind of makes sense. They had, had someone planet on there, so that was that was kind of a cool use of using that planet and his allies to kind of go against him and to his detriment now because he has a tracking device on him that Gideon is going to go after him with. Also, that guy looks like he would do anything you wanted just for like a pack of death sticks. Oh, for sure, like two credits. Yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> it's like really, yeah. I don't know if you know, you know, you know what? That's fine. Okay, that's like worthless. Yeah, that's right. So um, that's all you want, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I yeah. think I'm good. And then the last thing that was was kind of cool near the end, whenever the um, the, the X wing fighter from a few episodes ago came back and was questioning, they revealed that I don't know if this was known before, but Cara Dune is from Alderaan, so they have a nice little tie in there. And so I, I was trying to do the math, and I guess Alderaan got blown up about ten years previous is is about the timeline. So whatever that means to her age and where she was at at that time, but. It was about ten years ago, according to the to the timeline that I pieced together. Yeah, I have a not that bold theory about that coming yeah. up. One other thing I just thought of before we move on to best scene, and maybe I I was just not paying close enough attention, but at the end of the episode, how did Mando go from that Imperial base to being in the Razor Crest? What do you he mean? He used his jetpack and he flew back because. Remember when they split up, Cara Dune says, use your jetpack, you'll get back faster. And they split up. Okay. That just seemed like an incredible amount of distance to cover on his jetpack. Maybe. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. It might be the only like plot flaw in the, in the whole show, but I'm willing to look, I'm willing to look past it. This is the whole game of Thrones. The dragon got to Jon Snow and the amount of time that he got to him in. So, uh, but yeah, he splits up and says, Hey, I got to go save the child or get the child because he knows Gideon is going to be after him. So yeah, the jetpack thing is a little, a little cheap because he's never really used it for that great of a distance, but yeah, well it worked. Okay. I'm fine I with that. do I like that. They're using the jetpack more though. And how they're using it. I mean, he's used it in every episode at least once, right? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So. Like an, an Iron Man type feel to it. <clears throat> Our best scene. I mean, a lot of good options here, right? We could go Baby mm-hmm. Yoda. We could go any of the two big action set pieces. And even Baby Yoda had a couple. Just I'll the get episode? Mine, I'll get mine out of the way first. I mean, Baby Yoda in that school... I could just watch a whole show based on that. Like him getting into <laughs> various clicks, him going to gym class... But him stealing that kid's like uh, yogurt covered Oreos, <laughs> yeah, like the the blue macaroons or whatever it was. <laughs> Those looked good. I would definitely. Well, get I mean, fancy it cookies. makes sense if you use blue milk instead of regular milk. It's gonna come out a different color, right? Of course, that is true. And then, I mean, you guys will probably echo these, but the action set pieces in this were just absolutely incredible. I mean, the mm-hmm. whole canyon chase on the speeder and then the Tie Fighters. Uh, 
gives you like vibes of kind of the Luke's trench run and the X-Wing, you know, also gave me kind of vibes of the pod race scene in Phantom Menace. And it clearly I really felt pod race scene. Yeah. And the sound design there is where they just it's like nothing on TV equals that. So, yeah, one of the things I'll sorry, I'm going to jump in and take no, it. So um, but what you said, the sounds and everything is amazing. Once those TIE fighters start coming up off the top of that and you hear the sound it's like such a distinct sound did you have your your sound bar on for it oh yeah you get your star wars boner going and it's awesome (laughs) but like going off jumping off of that you there are so many things and start with i mean the fucking lightsaber of course a blaster going off the tie fighter just like it's such a distinct sound it's amazing how they've kind of created the iconic sounds like you can you could just start playing like audio clips and you could just, Oh, that's this, that's this. Mm-hmm. So once you saw those, uh, start going, it was, it was amazing. But, um, I, go, go ahead. I think the only, just real quick, the only sound that has a recognizable sound, like the star Wars sounds, you know, the tie fighters, lightsabers is a Raptor in Jurassic park. Other sure. than that, I don't know that there's another more unique or another movie or show that has unique sounds like star wars mm-hmm. speaking yeah. of sounds too uh there was a wilhelm scream in this episode in one of the oh uh, when the uh stormtrooper falls yeah and star wars has kind of been no i mean r2 like every time r2 blows up it's a wilhelm scream so yeah. star wars is kind of notorious for uh a clever placement of that i thought the I, same thing when he was falling down the shaft I was like, <laughs> ah, there it is i always know uh, uh, but yeah so that i mean that that scene carrying through that is probably my favorite the that speeder that they jump in is amazing. Like from the start of that, when they, when they jump off the platform and go down, smash the speeder and go, but that thing is like the Cadillac of speeders. It looks like it's like a fucking boat. Like once it gets, it's like a freight train. Like once it gets going, you're not stopping that thing. Unless it runs into a wall. If you back into that thing in like the Walmart parking lot, it's fine. Your car's fucked up. Oh yeah. It's totaled. Yeah. It's Uh, like a 1970s Chevelle. Like it's indestructible. Basically. Yeah. It's got the steel bumpers. It's not got none of that uh, car, uh, the uh, plastic bullshit on it now that they put on cars. But yeah, that whole scene, like like Vanner was saying, like it reminds you of the pod race scene. Um, but then also with like the uh, Luke X wing going through the the Death Star because you've got the tunnel. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I thought it was yeah done really well. There were a lot of cool parts of it where uh, uh, Carl Weathers' character is trying to like blow the rocks off instead of hitting it to like blow debris on them i thought I was like, oh that's a pretty cool yeah that aspect. was a cool strategy and then um whenever car uh Dune just fucking bullies that guy into the side of the wall and explodes <laughs> his speeder that was pretty badass too and i think it was also kind of unsuspected because the whole like shootout in the corridors of that base i was thinking like okay this will be like the big action set piece of this episode mm-hmm. like normally you know budget Wrong. Will... yeah Wrong. you're like holy shit no that was just like the appetizer here comes the entree yeah yeah, that was, See, that was and I actually had my best scene as that corridor fight out scene. As soon as Mando realizes, oh, this is a lab and this is where they were experimenting on the child and he splits off and uses a jetpack to go back. I, I thought it was really cool that this is a, the Mandalorian show and it's about that. But really that whole corridor fight scene, I mean, there was a little bit of Mando in there, but it was a lot of Cara Dune and Carl Weathers escaping mm-hmm. um, with what's his face blue fish man whatever the fuck his name was um, uh mitral mitral yeah that, oh yeah mitral mitral um that was a great like you said jeff it was a great setup scene for a better chase scene 
which was really hard to do to have back-to-back action scenes like that. Yeah. Really hard to do. And it, I am so conflicted internally because Carl Weathers fucking sucks, but he directed this <laughs> perfectly. He directed some the of the shots they had. They kind of like were looking up as they were running through the corridors and stuff. That's not stuff that I normally notice. And I noticed it being really well. And the yeah. score was on fucking point this episode. Yeah, the strings in that corridor shootout were like kind of a unique sound we haven't got in the Mandalorian so far. And there's a, I'll jump in real quick because Banner said something that kind of triggered something in my mind. But him saying like the way the camera angles were and the shots and that stuff. And there was like subtle things like whenever they're at the doors and trying to get in, Mando takes off his jetpack. The way they shot that and like it just looks so cool. Him going up and just like landing up that there. That was cool. And then from their perspective, like what yeah, it would look like. Yeah, it was really well done. And then I kind of grouped this as a separate scene, although it was like a continuation of the of the uh, speeder scene with the Tie Fighters. Whenever Mando comes in and has this little dogfight, I talked with Banner about this. Yeah. That like dogfight style, like that Air Force cool. scene was badass and a couple moves that he pulled off like right in a row he stalls out and like drifts and then goes straight at the other one and is doing the corkscrew and the tie fighter was like you're a psycho what are you doing yeah but he knew exactly what he was doing and like the way that was shot was so badass and then for whatever reason whenever they're looking through the binoculars and like seeing them like fight in that that little graphic and that little piece looks so badass for some reason i don't know why it looked awesome i think it's weird because like the targeting computer stuff in star wars the technology because they've had to sort of like keep it in the times when it was made in the 70s yeah so it feels like it's way behind like the actual shit like the targeting technology feels like an atari it looks like a cartoon right the ship you're in feels like an xbox series s but it just works in tandem i don't know why yeah absolutely one last thing i just thought of uh and this is just kind of like a meta aspect of star wars that i thought was really i really appreciated so that scene where mithral has to walk out on the ledge and basically like set the lava to implode like in the Imperial base. Just like first off shades of kind of Obi-Wan turning off the tractor beam and the death star. The exact same thoughts. But second off, I do love kind of the meta references where he's like, there's not even a handrail out here. Like a lot of the empire design family guys made fun of this. The uh, blue harvest jokes, but it's like, (laughs) why isn't there a handrail out here? Some guy's job, it has to be to come out here and fix this. In, For- in Force Awakens, yeah, whenever uh, Kylo is walking across that long catwalk. It's a long-ass catwalk with no handrails. It's got to be right. like 100 yards long. The Family Guy joke is like there's two Death Star employees talking, and the one guy goes, you know, I asked if we could have a handrail. Do you know what they said? They're worried we'd be leaning, leaning. on it too much. <laughs> it's like, oh, is that what they said? Uh, that's great. All right. On to my favorite part of the episode, our theories and questions. So I think we're going to get some... Some big ones out here. I know Ben already said he's swinging for the fences, which I like. I have kind of a minor one, and this might just be like no horns. That's way too fucking obvious. But I'm just wondering, after Nate brought this up, why did they mention it? So Cara Dune being from Alderaan, is it is the universe too big for me to just assume that she might be an Organa? Hmm. Um, I, I think, think it's I think it is. The only like, reason... There's more than one family on Alderaan. I get that. I'm just yeah. wondering... Like the the significance of bringing it up, I would love that first off. But again, we all know Devil's Advocate's my favorite game. In I believe Revenge of the Sith, when Senator Organa takes Leia, yes, he makes a comment of me and my wife have always wanted a daughter, but we weren't able to have one. That's not to say once they took Leia, they had a daughter. 
or didn't well, adopt someone else. And yeah, and I mean that's not that's not to say that she can't be. I just I think that's yeah, it could be a cousin. I I I'd buy that. I don't know if it's necessary at all. I, like actually, I don't think it is necessary. But it just kind of made me think. Like I mean, it's cool that they mentioned Alderaan. I'd be I think I would almost prefer she has no relation to the Organas. But it just got me thinking. Like, huh? They def obviously it was not thrown in there. You know, nothing's unintentional in this universe. No, there, there's with him leaving that badge behind, and there is something developing there. But um, yeah, I don't think that's necessary to make this fit. But it would be cool. But I'm I'd be fine going either way. Uh, I have a couple others, but you guys might mention them. Nate, I'll let you go first. Theories um, and questions. <clears throat> yeah, I don't. I really don't have any more theories coming off of this. Just questions in general that probably everyone who watched this has so um obviously with the the base and the people or whatever the creatures were that were like in the liquid that they were looking at um i'm guessing the main purpose was to take them and then they were going into those kind of suits of armor that moff Gideon was working with or staring at in the final scene creating a new type of clone army with metachlorians in their blood so i'm thinking that's kind of where that's where that's going just curious what your guys thoughts were on that and kind of where you see that going as well so before we we got the shot of the armor i started to think okay they are using or trying to use baby yoda's metachlorians to create snoke that was my first thought because see my thought was they were wow, using that's actually baby yoda's good. blood and the midi-chlorins to make like a Star Wars version of a super soldier serum. Yeah. Yeah, to go... So, yeah, I like, mean, like we're, all, we're all right there basically. in the same boat. Yeah. Could they be creating the Knights of Ren? I mean, that, that armor did look very akin to what the Knights of Ren wear in The Last Jedi. I would love that. Or Rise of Skywalker, excuse me. I would love mm -hmm. that. Man, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about, yeah, the Knights of Ren in there. That's... But one thing... Yeah. One thing I still don't know... And I, I mean, I'm hoping we get this answered at some point is maybe one of you guys have, have any theory here. What is the relationship between the Empire and essentially the First Order? Is it like the same group of bad dudes that just kind of reformed it? Or like would the resources right now that the Empire has be totally separate from what the First Order ends up having? I uh, think that they're I think they're like a remnants or like a faction of the Empire that still believes in what the Empire believed in and they're trying to rebuild a new empire as far as, and that's what becomes the first order. Like Moff Gideon may be, may get with some other Moffs and that's how. That sounds funny. I get <laughs> it does it, sound but... funny. Go uh, Moff diving. Yeah. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> but that's how the first order uh, was started. Yeah. Kind of segueing off of that. Uh was one of my other things and banner you might have a little more knowledge on this if it's out there in the star wars universe but like do we know moff gideon's role like after the mandalorian or like where he's been what he's doing is he dead is he alive you're shaking your head no so i don't um, know that i've ever heard of him okay. until the mandalorian yeah okay cool then we can just speculate wildly nice all right banner what would you have so a couple things, uh, two questions and a theory, two questions. We're not going to be able to answer these. Where the fuck is that scientist? Challenge dude? accepted. Where, Where is the scientist? scientist? It, I bet he's like on the Imperial cruiser with Moff Gideon. Well, hold on. No, he just he did sent like the message to him three days. I know. Before, though. 
So do we think he was at that? At he that wasn't base? at the base because they just showed him. So he's out there somewhere. He's got to be, right? Um, and maybe he's a prisoner of Moffs. I don't know. It did kind of feel like they had abandoned that base. He may just be at that original base where they had Baby Yoda in season one still. Or maybe he was at lunch. Mm, Cheesecake probably. Factory. It was, it was two for one at Chili's. Oh, okay. Never mind. He's not. Their happy hour is insane, man. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Also, maybe I wasn't really paying attention. Was he actually the one of the guys where when Mando kind of like blew up the whole? Uh, yes. Okay, so he was seen there, and did he so die seen because it was sent three days ago? Uh, what? Sorry, what'd you say? Like when Mando got Baby Yoda, were we under the assumption that that guy was shot and killed? And so it's like, oh, shit, he's still alive when he sent that message. I'm trying to think back, and I can't remember because he was definitely there when Mando was, like, going scorched earth on the place. I can't remember if he actually killed him. Um, but it's it's funny because uh, Miss Thurman actually pointed this out to me because she was, like, talking about the guy in the hologram. I was like, that's that guy was like, who are you talking about? And we went back to the recap at the very beginning of the episode, and they had a recap from – Last season, and yeah, yeah, sure enough, that was the guy. I didn't even put that together. Because if that guy was like the dude who was hunched over Baby Yoda, clearly mm-hmm. with him when Mando was tearing that place apart, there's no way he didn't get shot between the eyes. Mando I mean, was like so pissed, but he's got to be alive somehow. Right. Uh, uh, next question. I'm assuming it's gonna be next episode. When the fuck am I gonna get a Sokatana? It's got to be. I think it was Thurman last week, uh, Banner, you weren't able to join us, but I predicted Ahsoka this episode, and I think Thurman predicted her the next episode. I just, I think yeah, just right. kind of the pattern that they've been going on, like, there's there's going to be a, I don't want to call this episode a filler because it was great, but yeah, just a, a, a something piecing together that next part of the journey, um, but uh, yeah, I kind of saw that coming because I knew there was going to be like a mission, but this mission was actually very pointed, um, so it fit in really well. All right, guys, my big theory here. Here we go. So we all know that the uh, Mandalorians that we met last episode are going after the Darksaber, right? Yes. We know that Moff Gideon has the Darksaber, right? Also correct. We know that Mando doesn't necessarily agree with the Mandalorians that we saw on the fish planet, and he obviously knows Moff Gideon's a bad dude. I think. At some point, maybe not this season, but at some point in this show, we are going to have three teams fighting over the Darksaber. We're going to have Cara Dune, Carl Weathers, Mando, Baby Yoda, Timothy Oliphant, and Ahsoka ultimately fighting the Mandalorians over who has control of the Darksaber because the Mandalorians want the Darksaber to try and take over the galaxy and rule the galaxy, same as Moff Gideon. This is very similar to my theory last week. I don't know if you listen to the show when you're not on. I did, but I was super hammered. <laughs> so I predicted that uh, Mando would end up with the Darksaber, and it would basically start a civil war between the guild that he had worked with on, maybe mm. it was tomorrow, and Bo-Katan's faction of the Mandalorians. But I kind of like your idea even better if we pit, just th- fuck it, it's a Royal Rumble. Throw a third faction in there fighting for it as well. Yeah, yeah so... This can be the MacGuffin that they're all, you know, competing. Like you almost have, you almost have Mando's group and Bo-Katana's group working together to get the dark saber, but they're both kind of trying to position themselves to double cross the other. Yeah. And I know Horns last week when he mentioned that, I think he had said it there, 
Mando is probably going to use it as like leverage at some point for something. Now, Banner, in your theory, is that kind of like why he wants it, or is he wanting it because now he's grouped in with Ahsoka Tana and she wants it so bad, so he's just kind of going along to help her out for her cause? I think over the course of the show, Mando is having a morality change. Mm-hmm. You know, in the first season, he was a bounty hunter. He had what five guys in his fucking ship in the first episode, all frozen in carbonite. And now all of a sudden he's being this more caring about baby Yoda and then him destroying the base in this episode is showing, Hey, these people of Navarro deserve to be free. And he's kind of becoming more of like a Robin hood esque person, as opposed to I'm just here to catch people and get money. He's more of a, I'm starting to do the right thing and have this, this different kind of morality where he values life and sees good and bad more. Bano, that actually oh, gives me. Hold on, did you answer my question? Probably not. Like, what why is question? why why is he fighting for the dark saber? Because I don't know. He doesn't want bad people to have it. He okay. Those Moff, Moff Gideon and the Mandalorians both want it to take over to rule in some capacity. No, that makes and sense. And he sees That's that like... and goes, "No, they don't need to rule. Why does somebody need to rule? This is just a weapon." Let's okay. remove that from the equation. That was the that was a that was another theory. Actually, it wasn't what I had proposed, but that makes sense too. Banner, you're speaking about Mando's morality change has me thinking now. So next episode, let's assume just for argument's sake, next episode Ahsoka Tana is introduced and Mando shows her baby Yoda, who she will of course recognize as a descendant of Master Yoda. And he says that his, obviously he has a very, very tight relationship with baby Yoda, a father's son or a surrogate father. If Ahsoka tells him her thoughts on the Jedi Order, do you really think Mando is still going to fulfill his mission and just take baby Yoda to these dudes who Ahsoka claims are the biggest hypocrites in the history of the galaxy? No, I think, I think he's going to stay with, I think he's actually going to keep baby Yoda with Ahsoka but his his creed or his quest will never have been completed because he he isn't putting Baby Yoda with the Jedi. He's keeping right. her with Ahsoka, who is not a Jedi. So he's going to have to stay with them based on his creed and his quest. So now we're going to have a little little trio with those three uh, for you know the end of time. It's like a Yondu Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two situation when he God explains why. Damn, why we are never... fucking great with the analogies. <laughs> this one I'm Killing pretty it. proud of. Why he didn't take Quill to his dad. And then, you know, the rest of the... Uh, what's Yondu's group called? The Ravagers. The Ravagers. The, the Ravagers disown him because you never take a kid. But they actually end up finding out... Well, I'll spoil the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 if you haven't seen it. But he had a different motivation than what the perception was. Do you guys have anything else? I just have one other note. Uh, should I have covered everything for me. All right, last thing that I, I wanted to just bring up. Um, I read this in an article. All of the promotional footage, all of the trailers, everything we've seen only had footage from the show through episode four, meaning everything we're about to see, all the other characters, nothing has been shown to us. And number one, I don't think that's unintentional. And number two, fuck yeah. I think it's because Ahsoka. Sorry, I'm going to go first. (laughs) (laughs) I dubbed myself. That's fine. Uh, I think that's because they refused to show Rosira Dawson as Ahsoka Tana. I think that's because she was a fan cast. They gave us what they wanted. They wanted to keep that a secret. And I think we're going to have Ahsoka Tana in every episode from here on out. 
Wow. Yeah, you basically said what I was going to say. So. Yeah, I know. That's why I went first. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, let me just take what you were going to say real quick. So that's cool because obviously, like, the, I think the most familiar thing to this was the Avengers Endgame final trailer where they showed basically nothing and like four seconds of footage that takes place after the first 15 minutes of the movie in a three-hour movie. So this is cool. I mean, basically have four episodes where we don't even know the locale. Like, we haven't even seen, are we on a desert planet, an ice planet? What does Corvus look like? I think I think uh, they may have mentioned it, or maybe it was on my research online, but I think Corvus is supposed to be like a forest planet. That sounds right. Correctly. I've looked yeah. at some Zillow listings there, and it looks foresty yeah. for some houses i was looking at buying yeah property taxes are a little high for my in my opinion so one last second long shot theory now that i just put forest planet in my head return of the ewoks they've been scared to give them to us but this i don't think so but i just want to throw it out there just in case i just want one maybe an ewok like teddy bear i'm I'm cool with that. That'd be neat. Like a normal human size. Like you have Ewoks that are midgets and you have chew- Chewies or uh, the fuck are they ground. called? Wookies that are like giants. They've got something in the middle. Okay. All right. Interesting. A little Planet of the Apes vibes. But they're but they're like, no, they're not as sentient as like humans, right? They're still like Ewoks where they. Yeah, they still go. Try and like eat your popcorn or whatever lay ahead. Yeah. yeah. I'm good with that. Okay, that was the last thing I had now. Perfect. All right, this one had me pumped, guys. Not that I'm ever not pumped for this show, but like this is how this is a good halfway point to really up the momentum and uh, we're on an upward trajectory for sure. All right, for the mad scientist Brian Banner and the American hero Nate Thurmond, I'm the mayor Jeff Hornacek, and we are the Bro Four Squad podcast. Thanks for checking us out. We'll be here for the rest of season two of The Mandalorian. Check out all of our reviews. You can follow us on Twitter at Bro Four Squad. Find us on YouTube. Spotify and iTunes. Just type in Bro Force Squad as three separate words. Check out all of our content on our website, broforcesquad.com. Till next time, we need to go buy some of those blue Oreo things. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to try and cook some of those up. That kid was so shocked. He's like, I'm not even mad. I don't know what else you can do, so just take the cookies. Yeah, that and that kid, I don't know. He was like, like the looks he was giving were like really weird. I didn't know like what he was looking at. Also, like looking above his head. (laughs) And I don't know how kids age in the Star Wars universe, but that 